0: I was was having a bit of practice about this this morning, and uh, Josh came in, he sat himself down, he says, can I listen, instead of talking as I was talking to the picture? And then I had to go and clean my teeth. And uh, he he, listened to a bit of this. I hope you're going to have a better reaction. His reaction was, well, it's very good mommy, but I don't understand what you're talking about. (laughs) So let's hope that uh, you do a bit better than that. Um, I was asked to talk on... How to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, And it's a phrase that comes up several times in 1 and 2 Timothy. Remember, this is the letter that Paul's writing to his very good friend. And he's trying to encourage him. So the phrase comes up. Let's have a look. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, I give you this instruction with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Later on, towards the end of 1 Timothy, he encourages him to say, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And then it comes up a third time, again at the end of the two letters, when Paul's talking about himself and he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So I thought we'd start with the basics, always good to start with the basics, and uh, I thought we'd start with, let's start with what is, what is faith? What, are we, what on earth is he talking about here? Hebrews 11 tells us, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So effectively faith is trusting in something we can't explicitly prove. You need two parts to faith. Okay, you need the intellectual part, the bit that goes on in your brain, that believes that something is true. And then you need to take that faith and you need to trust, relying that the thing is really true. Imagine the chair, you're all sitting down. Okay. Intellectually, we realise that the chair is really a chair and is therefore sitting on. However, Until you actually sit on the chair, you're not really trusting that that chair is going to support your weight. And that's what we need to do. In other words, knowing facts about Jesus is not enough. Intellectually, many people agree with the facts in the Bible about Jesus. James tells us even the demons believe God. We've got to effectively sit in the chair. Faith means taking that intellectual acceptance and believing that God has forgiven our sins making it true for us fully relying on the death of Jesus Christ but where does it come from Ephesians 2 8 and 9 tells us it is through grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it's the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast so faith is not something we're born with It's not something we can conjure up ourselves. It's not a result of study or pursuing spiritual things. It's clear that faith is a gift from God. And it's given to us as a gift from God so that we can't boast about it. We haven't earned it, we're not worthy of it, we don't necessarily deserve to have it, but it's simply given to us. And God gives us faith along with his grace and mercy So that he gets all the glory, so that we can't take the glory for ourselves. So faith is a gift from God. Why am I talking about it? He uses all sorts of means to impart faith to us. And if we do a quick look through the Gospels, I had a look at John and Acts and Romans. Um, John 11 tells us, they have seen what Jesus did and they put their faith in him. Later on it says, These things are written so that you may believe. In Acts, the apostles spoke in such a manner that many believed. They searched the scriptures daily. Many therefore believed. Going on into Romans, Paul reminds us that faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So God gives faith when we see miracles, when we hear testimony. When we read or we hear the Bible, or we hear good expounding of Scripture. The Bible is also clear that without faith we can't please God. That faith, therefore, should have an impact on our behaviours. And that's quite a challenge. There should be fruit from our faith. The challenge is, can people see that we're Christians because of what we do, not just because of what comes out of our mouths, what we say? And that the things that we do should come out of our faith in God. If you're here this morning and I've lost you already, maybe you don't know about God. Maybe you're searching. Keep searching. Do you know God is there. He will reveal himself if you ask him to. He will give you faith if you ask him. He will forgive your sins when you understand. You can start a new life with God simply by asking him into your life. And if you want to know more, you know, ask somebody who's brought you. Go on an Alpha course, read books, but pick up the Bible. Pick up a gospel and read through. See what happened and see what happens at the end. So Paul saying this is a good fight of faith. How is it a fight? There's two things here. It's a fight to maintain our faith. You know, God gave us a gift, and we're to use it. The other bit is, faith is used as a weapon, the shield of faith, to attain a victory beyond faith itself. Let's look at the first bit. There's a sense that we have a responsibility to maintain our faith. In verse 11, Paul tells Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You know, if I told you you had to pursue godliness or pursue love, pursue endurance and be gentle, you wouldn't think anything of it because they're all attributes of God that we expect to be able to try and work out in our lives. But it's really interesting that actually Paul puts faith in that list. Timothy was a Christian and had been a Christian for a long time when he was getting this letter. It's not a new thing. In this sense, Paul is what this is what Paul means by the fight of faith. We have to pursue faith itself. We can't rest content just on the faith that we have, as though that's all we need, or as if it's going to stay there without a fight against the forces of unbelief. Do you know, it's really easy to coast along in our faith and then suddenly realise that actually it's ebbed away. We need to protect our faith and feed it it's a bit like a plant it needs nurturing and how we do that is different for all of us and it changes through different parts of our lives and I can think of times in my journey where it's been really easy to have loads of faith and really easy to have not very much faith at all and the ups and downs help us actually to hold on to God Do you know when we have a rousing worship time like this morning, it's easy to look around and think, oh, everybody's full of masses of faith, and and I've got nothing. But actually, the reality is, everybody goes through times in their lives where it's up and down. So how can we nurture our faith? How can we preserve it? The obvious thing is, read the Bible and study it. And if you're anything like me, it's very easy to read the Bible and then get up and carry on with your day, and, you know, it's gone in one ear and out the other. You've read all the words on the page, just like you read so much other stuff that comes through us each morning. Actually, I need to read the Bible with a pencil and a pen, paper, piece of paper in my hand. And I need to discipline myself to write down something that God is speaking to me about, that I can take that away into the rest of the day. And if I don't do that, I know that I'll have forgotten about it before I... Have cleaned my teeth and go out of the door. It's good to stir up faith, and singing worship songs is a great way of doing that. And I, I do that on my own as well. And I went for a walk yesterday, and I walked down the road with my earphones in, singing along. People must have thought I was a bit mad, but never mind. Um, and some songs are more helpful than others, and you know, some songs speak more truth than others. And I particularly like ones that speak truth but other people will find different things. When my face has been really low and I've been really struggling, I've gone back to the basics. And I'm gonna show my age now. The Alpha Talks used to be in a book. And I used to actually go back and reread the Alpha Talks because they're nice, basic, really easy reading, good, strong Christianity. And it reminds you of truth. It's much easier now. You can just watch them online, can't you? But it's a great way of stirring yourself up in faith I've read lots of books, and so has Phil. And we have bookshelves full of Christian books. Phil reads much more than I do now, but never mind. Um, And different books help in different ways. You know, it's good to read biographies. It's good to read books about truth. There's lots of different things that we can do. In Hebrews, it says, do not, uh, sorry, reminds us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Meeting together is really important in keeping going on the journey. I don't know about you, but I've been stirred this morning just worshipping together, and that makes a massive difference. Unless we're in community, others don't know when and what we need, when we need some help. Maybe you need to decide to meet regularly with somebody and pray together. When Julie was a student and I was in Newcastle, we used to re- meet what seemed like then ridiculously early and pray and sometimes have breakfast. I have to confess, now we do more eating and chatting than praying but when we get together, but there you go. Um, you need to have people in your life who will ask you questions of how your faith is doing. You need to spend time with people who will build you up in the faith, you know, who will encourage you? Who will spur you on? Remember where faith comes from. It comes by hearing the word. Doing the stuff. You know, getting out and doing things. The other thing, Timothy is hold, told to hold on to faith and a good conscience. And it's not necessarily two things that we would put together. But, you know, when we choose to do God's will, we discover more of God. If we did disregard that little voice inside you that allows, that says don't do that and allow sin to reign instead actually we start to sever our conscience and that's the start of our faith going downhill quick confession of sin and repentance keeps our consciences clear helps to build our faith and helps us Spurring on. We need to mix that faith and a good conscience together. In another sense, faith is a weapon. Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life to which you were called. As I've said, Timothy's been a Christian for some time and he's received the promise of eternal life years ago. So, what Paul is trying to do is actually exhort him to enjoy that promise of eternal life, to seize hold of it for the now as well as the then and live it to the full. Do you know in other places, Paul uses other analogies to help us see how we can fight the fight of faith. In 2 Timothy, and there's a slide for this, um, 2 it says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive a victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into this. So there's three different scenarios here. Firstly, Timothy is to be like a soldier, pleasing his commanding officer. Let me ask you a question. Who or what is your commanding officer? Now I know we're all sitting in church and you all know the right answer is to say God. Because clearly that's what Paul is referring to. But do you know if you really look at your life, that time from when you leave here till when you come back next Sunday morning. Is that true for you? Or are there other things that you're measuring your life up with? Maybe you're looking for the next step up the career ladder. Maybe you're looking for the next thing that can earn you a bit of money. Maybe you're trying to notch up as many different places that, that you've been to on holiday. Maybe you're interested in how much you've been to the gym or what you look like. have you put it in your children and what they're doing? And none of these things are bad in themselves, and certainly I hope God is using you in your workplace. And I hope God is teaching you how to parent your children well and bringing them up in godly behaviours. But actually, they're not our primary purpose. And they're not the only thing that we look to. Children are very perceptive, at least mine are. And a few weeks ago I had my mum to stay And uh, I went for for a walk with Sophie after she'd been, and uh, we were chatting away. And Sophie suddenly comes out with, do you know when you're with granny, as in my mum, you always talk about this, and listed the topics. And when you see the other granny, Phil's mum, you always talk about this. And then she proceeded to go through a list of our various relations and give me actual topics that I talked to about those particular people. And she wouldn't know she was doing this, but at first I was quite taken aback. I thought, man, do I really? And I went away and thought about it, and sure enough, I do. But it also made me think, because it actually shows where my heart is. And I have to say, I had to make some changes about where my heart was lined up to after that. And she doesn't know that, so you don't need to tell her. But I have had to think, you know, what you think about and what you talk about, show where your heart is. Secondly, Paul uses the analogy of running the race. He says he will not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now the rules were probably the rules of the race. And we're trying to run a race here. A few years ago, Phil and I entered the uh, Edinburgh Half Marathon. and. I had a slower time, so I was started in a different place to fill, so we arranged to meet up at the end, and uh, you know, it's a great buzz. It's a a great morning, you start off, and uh, I was carried away, carried along quite happily with the first few miles. I probably started a bit fast, but there we go, I think everybody does make these mistakes. And I was doing fine until I got to about mile 10. And I have to tell you about mile 10, I was starting to flag, even more so when you realise that at mile 10, you go through Musselburgh, and you start to head out along the coast road. The problem is that all the people who are in front of you are streaming back in the other direction, and they're nearly finished, okay? And there's just this little cordon between you going this way, knowing that you're gonna have to run another mile and a half probably, And you coming back the other way, and I was really flagging, really, really flagging, and I'm running along thinking I could just turn round. Nobody'd know. I'd just turn round, and then I kept thinking, no, no, I need to keep going. You know, running apparently is all in the mind, but you know, you keep going. My legs were struggling. Little did I know when I got to the turning point, there's actually a mat on the floor. To check that everybody has got to the turning point so that they know whether you've run the whole race. To check out those people who would have turned back like me and uh, keep them going. But I did run to the end. And I eventually found Phil. It's quite hard finding, finding people at the end. But some of running a race and running this race is realizing that we're not in a sprint, we are in a marathon. And God is in it with us, helping us along the way. I have to say I didn't turn around because I knew that at the end I would have been really cross with myself had I turned around. But also, there were an awful lot of people watching, and I teach in Musselburgh, and some of them may have been the kids I teach. (laughs) But we also need people along our journey of faith to cheer us on, to keep us going. And faith is a much more important race than the half marathon. The analogy goes on to the farmer, and this farmer is hard working, referring back to probably to the soldier working hard, and it's about receiving a reward for working hard. Do you know, when you think about it, what were his crops? They weren't the things that we think of as crops in the field. We can't take the stuff we amass on this earth with us. In this context, Paul is talking about the prize in the verse before. Do you know... People's lives won for the gospel. People's lives changed. The effect of mine and your actions. And that could be a sobering thought. It makes us think about the priorities we have in our day-to-day existence. Are we building treasure that we can take with us? Or is everything that you're building going to be left behind? It's clear that dedicated effort will be rewarded in the enjoyment of seeing the gospel change lives. Lastly, in this section, Paul tells Timothy to reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into this. He doesn't try and explain it all, but there's an expectation that God will give, him, will give Timothy revelation as he thinks on these things. Rather than giving specifics, he relies on Paul uh, Timothy, applying this teaching to different areas of his life. And we need to do the same. Do you know, the things that apply to me will be different to the things that apply to you, but God will apply them in your life. I have to say, in none of this, there is a promise that life is gonna be easy. I'm still looking for the verse in the Bible that says we're gonna sail through life and it'll be easy. But God is in it with us. We're not always going to get it right. In Hebrews 11 it lists great giants of faith you know you think of Abraham he did some amazing things God promised to bless him and in the next bit of the chapter he goes into a town and pretends that Sarah his wife is his sister because he doesn't want to get killed and eventually that all comes out then Abraham is promised children and descendants as many as the stars and here's him and his wife, very old, childless. So Sarah tells Abraham, Off you go, sleep with my maid and have a child, which apparently was the custom. Uh, he had a child with a maid, and then it all goes horribly wrong. Sarah didn't treat her very well, she went away. You know, it, it's it's a horrible downfall. But after each mistake, God took Abraham back. And renewed his promise with him and eventually Sarah receives the promised son. We look at David who's also listed in those giants of faith, well known for writing all the Psalms, he was an amazing king but we also know him for that affair with Bathsheba and because he had an affair he had to try and cover it up and went and killed her her husband. There's Gideon who was so timid, he kept asking God for a sign that he should go. He, one night he asks for a fleece that the, the dew is on the, the fleece and not the grass, and the next night, that's not enough. Oh, I'm not really sure, God. Can you make the, the, the ground wet and the fleece dry? It, they're all people who are listed as giants of faith, but encouragingly for us, they all make mistakes. They all need encouragement along the way. There's um, Barak. I don't know whether this is a less well-known story. Deborah, the prophetess, went to Barak and said, you've got to go and fight. Defeat Jabin and his army. But he was timid. He said, I'm not going unless you come with me. So she said, well, I will come with you, but actually you're not going to get the honour because I've got to go too. But he's listed as a giant of faith. He was timid. They all have their trials and tribulations. They all have their ups and downs. They all have times when they got it right and times when they get it wrong. And yet they are the people that we look up to in the Bible. They're actually no different from us. God in his mercy and grace keeps forgiving and keeps encouraging them and keeps encouraging us on the fight that he's been called to. If you feel like you've messed up, or you've dropped the opportunity that you know was spoken about this morning, it's time to pick it up. It's time to ask God for forgiveness and ask him for his grace so that we can keep going on to the next thing and keep asking him for his grace so that we can keep going. There's a small word in the middle of this phrase that I think is really important. And it's, it says, it's a good fight. Why is it called a good fight? I don't know about you, but if I was losing a fight, I wouldn't be calling it a good fight. It would be a bad fight. So although our fight is against many things, the world's standards, the enemy, our own sinful selves, we will th- win because we are fighting with the God of the universe who's already conquered sin for us through Jesus. Jesus. And in doing so has covered us with righteousness. He's made us clean. He's already won the victory. You might feel like you've lost one round, but actually God has already won the war. I'm sure when most people have small children or when you become a teacher, you get told, don't fight every battle because it's not worth it. Fight for the things that really matter. And it's the same in the Christian life. Do you know, God is specific in his correction of us. He doesn't just give you a general guilty feeling. He specifically convicts us and he challenges us with one thing at a time. And that's because of what we can cope with. And that's how we continue to fight. One thing at a time, one battle at a time. It's a good fight because we're not left in our own strength. Philippians 2.12 says... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the same as saying fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. But the next bit in Philippians says, for, God, for it is God who works to will and to act according to his purpose. We're not left alone in the fight. God is the one who is behind our struggle, giving, giving us the will and the power to defeat unbelief. God fights in us and for us. That's not to say we don't have to play our part, but actually God is doing it with us. Matthew 11 tells us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, sorry, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the life of faith is not a burdened life. It's a life that's free and full of joy and peace. Do you know, it's really hard to run if you are wearing a rucksack and tons and tons of baggage. If you're feeling weighed down this morning, maybe actually God is asking you to put down some of those things. We have to fight sometimes for freedom from worry and carrying things that we don't need to carry. Worrying doesn't add anything to our lives, but it robs us of our joy and peace. So maybe you need to put down some of those things. The good fight involves self-humbling and not self-exaltation. Most fights are in some way to show who is best. You know, when I was growing up, I have a brother who is 18 months younger than me. And we used to argue a lot. He was, and still is, very quick with words. I'm not so quick unless I have time to think about it. But he could very easily turn anything I said upside down and shoot it back at me in the most annoying manner that only siblings can do. However, I was older and taller and for quite a long time physically stronger than him therefore our fights that started off verbally often used to end in a physical fisticuffs that wasn't a good ending i needed a way to show that i was better and that's what i resorted to however the life of faith is the opposite it isn't in our nature to admit weakness or that we need help but actually, through faith, that's what we're saying. John 15:5 says, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Faith is, in essence, our admission of sin and our need of mercy from God. And that kind of humbleness is good. Through our fight of faith, God is greatly glorified. When we trust in God, he gets the glory. So I've I've looked at three different things this morning. First of all, I've looked at what is faith and where does it come from? Specifically, faith is a gift from God, but we need to nurture it. We talked about how is faith a fight? It's a fight to maintain our faith, but we can also use faith as a weapon. And why is it a good fight? Because we're not alone in it, God is there helping us to carry our load, to refresh us. And he's already won the fight. We can and should rely on God in our own fight. I've got some questions for us. And these were things I was challenged with as I was going through this and preparing. First of all, are you stirring up your faith? Are you fighting the fight of faith that you've been called to or... Have you got distracted along the way? And thirdly, do you need to put down your burdens and ask God to help you fight in the fight of faith? Are you stirring up the faith within you? Do you need to take some steps to fan into flame the embers of your faith? If so, what are those things that you need to do? Can you make a plan Find someone to help you with it or hold you to account that you're really doing it. It's so easy on Sunday morning to think you'll do something, but come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, it's so much more difficult. If you're struggling to read the Bible or pray, can you agree with a friend to meet for coffee and chat about a passage that you've read this week? Can you commit in your heart to go to small group? In that case, tell somebody and then you have to go. Do you need God to help you fan into flames the, the gifts that we were talking about in the worship that God has given you? Are you running the right race? Have you got distracted? Have you dropped some of those things that God's called you to do? Do you can answer the question of what your heart is seeking after? Others can see the fruit of that, but it needs you to change it. Is God challenging you this morning to realign your life with Him? Make Him the goal? If so, ask Him to help you. He he gives grace when we need it. He will help you put things back into place that need to be put into place. Do you need to put down your burdens and let you fight more freely? Remember, this is a good fight. Are you encouraged or have you become weary? God's promised to give us rest for for our souls. You can come to him this morning and ask him to be filled with the Holy Spirit to encourage you. If you're carrying things that he hasn't asked you to carry, put them down. We want to fight this fight unencumbered by things God's not called us to carry. We want to be encouraged that God is in this fight with us. He has already won the victory over sin and death. He's given us many things to be thankful for and encouragements to help us on the way. He's calling us to run, to fight the good fight of faith. I just want you to think for a minute. And if there are things that you need to do, resolve to do them. Ask God to help you in them.